The passage we'll be focusing in on tonight is 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but I'd like to read the verses just before and after that. So we're going to pick up in verse 7 and read through to verse 10. So again, this is 2 Corinthians, and just double check to make sure you're looking at 2 rather than 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, or as some versions will say, the excellency or the uh, overwhelming um, quality of these revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Let's pray. Lord, please bless both the preaching and the hearing of your word that as you work through very imperfect instruments that you would be pleased to do a perfect job and that you would awaken our hearts such that we would be encouraged where we need to be encouraged, rebuked where we need to be rebuked, and that we would be made more like Christ through this time spent in your word. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I have uh, a number, um, a growing number of former students who are Facebook friends. And one of them, uh, one of my former students was a little irritated about something. And she did what a lot of people do. She goes to social media to express her, her frustration. Well, what was it? She's a professional photographer, and somebody had looked at her pictures and complimented the quality of her camera, which she found somewhat insulting. And she made a point of saying, I am a professional photographer. I have gone to school for years to learn to be a better photographer. And trust me, it's not that just the camera. There is, some, there is some talent and there is some skill involved. And then she went on to say, that uh, no one praised Van Gogh's paintbrush. Nobody looked at a painting by Van Gogh and said, hey, you must have had a really great paintbrush. Well, I couldn't resist commenting, and I said, that was very well put. You must have a really great keyboard. And um, thankfully, she had a sense of humor, and she thought that was funny. And, uh, but, but it makes a point. Uh, the, the point of her, her post was that it is an insult to an artist to praise the means with which they work, the tools with which they work, rather than the skill of the artist. And how much more so is it an offense to God to praise the tools that he uses rather than the creator himself? And this is, interestingly, uh, a theme in what Paul is getting at in, in this, is that we must recognize our insufficiency precisely for that reason, that we are but tools, we are implements used in the Creator's hands, but the praise and the glory does not go to us, 
the, the tools. It goes to him, the creator. Now for a little background here into what's going on in 2 Corinthians 12, overall in 2 Corinthians Paul is commending the Corinthian church for having repented. If you've read 1 Corinthians, you know he does beat them up pretty severely over their sin, and and they needed it. They were pretty much a, a train wreck of a church. And the Corinthians did set to work repenting and cleaning house, and a good bit of 2 Corinthians is devoted to Paul commending them for that, and also advising them not to be too hard on those who have have repented, but to now encourage them and to restore them and to bring about unity within the church for which uh, the, the church at Corinth was famously dis, disunified. Um, so uh, as, as Paul moves on and he talks about his credentials as an apostle, he makes reference, speaking of himself in the third person, that he was privy to some revelations of heaven. And in verse 4, Paul is speaking of himself when he says, uh, I knew such a man in verse 3 and in verse 4, how that he was caught up into paradise. He heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. And then in verse 5, Paul goes on to say that he will not glory in himself, even though he has been granted this very rare and exceptional privilege that very few people have had visions of heaven. Isaiah's one, uh, John, the, of, of, uh, the, the author of the Gospel of John, the letters and of Revelation, is of course another. So very few in this world um, have had, had even a glimpse of the glory of heaven. But Paul says, this is not something I will glory of. This is something uh, that I will, what I, what I will glory in is my weaknesses. And then in verse 6, Paul goes on to say this, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. Now that's interesting, that Paul is comparing self-glorification with foolishness. And this is a little countercultural for our day and our age when we uh, see through so many means the, the idea that if you would just realize how awesome you were, then you would be able to do great things. And the scriptures really teach a very different thing. If you would see how awful you are in, in the modern sense of the word and how awesome God is and in dependence upon him, he will use you to do great things. That's, that's the message of the scriptures. And so when we pick up in verse seven, Paul talks about what measures have been taken to assure that he does not exalt himself. And in verse 7, he says, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. I'm going to pause there for just a moment uh, because all we know is that this thorn in the flesh was some kind of affliction that Paul dealt with, we do not know specifically what that thorn in the flesh was. You can look up commentaries, I'm sure you can do a Google search and, and try to find um, someone speculating, oh, it must have been this, it must have been that. We honestly don't know. And that's good to know because Paul is talking about suffering in general. If Paul said, 
um, I was given kidney stones and we would say, oh, well, this whole passage is only good if you have kidney stones. If Paul said, I'm suffering from depression, which I think given his work and his personality, he very certainly did deal with that from time to time. Um, Then we would say, oh, this is just if you have depression. But because we don't know, we can say that this is about suffering in general when things are not going according to our plans. And if things are not going according to our plans, that should be a wake-up call in itself. And that this verse is for you, this verse is for me, whatever it is that we're suffering, whatever it is that we're, um, that we're going through. The, um, uh, the passage also uh, mentions that this is, uh, when, when it mentions thorn in the flesh, the idea is that this is an intensely sharp pain This is from a messenger of Satan, and this is uh, a a malicious messenger, one that that seeks to do harm. What we know of Satan is that he is the first murderer, he is the father of lies, he is the accuser of the brethren. The very name is a Hebrew word that means enemy, and so this is uh, a messenger of Satan as it renders in the King James here to buffet me. Uh, that same word, buffet, uh, to strike, is a Greek word which means to strike hard and to strike with all your might. And this is the same word that is used of the treatment that Jesus received in his trial. And when uh, Jesus was brought before Caiaphas in Matthew 26, and he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was beaten, this is the same word that was used. This is the kind of buffeting that makes you see flashes of light and lose your balance. Maybe you've been hit in the face hard enough uh, to see stars. I I have seen crescent moons. I've been hit hard enough to to see that. Um, But you do sometimes see little flashes of yellow light when you're punched hard enough. And uh, and sometimes the, the next thing you're aware of is you're on the ground. And this is the kind of buffeting, delivering of a sharp pain that Paul is talking about. And so... The reason was that it would prevent him from being exalted above measure. Now, the exalting is a very interesting word here because it's used one other time in Scripture. And that is in Second Thessalonians 2 in reference to the one who is identified as the son of perdition in prophecy. Some people take this person to mean the Antichrist, but what he does is he sets himself up as God. He exalts himself as God so that he may receive worship as though he were God. And Paul is saying that God is humbling me to prevent me from doing that. As C.S. Lewis has pointed out decades ago, pride is really at the root of so much sin that self-absorption is the, the source of so many sins that follow from that. And what was the first lie ever uttered? Well, you go back to Genesis 3, and it is Satan saying, if you follow my path, you will be like God. And so there's this desire to have power over others, to have that power felt, to have that power recognized that Paul is being prevented from uh, here in this passage. So in a strange way, this pain that he's suffering is a merciful thing. 
And you'll see that in just a moment, even though that sounds very contrary and, and as they say, counterintuitive. In verse 8, Paul says, I besought the Lord thrice, or I prayed three times that the Lord would take this away. And there is desperation in the wording of this verse. The idea of three times doesn't mean, Lord, please take it away, please take it away, please take it away. Oh, well, I guess I'm stuck with it. This is perhaps the, the three times means morning, noon, and night. It has uh, perhaps the idea of continual prayer. And this is a begging and a pleading of, Lord, please take this away from me. And what is his answer? It's not the answer he's necessarily looking for at first, but watch what happens. Watch what Paul does in his suffering with the answer that he receives. Verse 9, he gets this, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And this is the, the idea of made perfect means that uh, this is Jesus speaking to Paul saying that my strength it reaches its fulfilled end in your weakness. It is made perfect in your weakness. It reaches that purpose for which I have designed it. It does that for which I have sent it in your weakness. And then why is this? Well, simply because when we recognize our weakness, we see our need and then... We, we realize our dependence on Christ. I remember a friend of mine one time, uh, he and I were talking about theological things and, and uh, I wasn't sure if he was a believer or not, but he threw out the comment, well, sometimes I think Christianity is a crutch. And I thought about that. You know how you have these great replies a week later, two weeks later, uh, same thing happened here. And it was this, Jesus never called himself a crutch. He called himself the bread of life. He called himself the water of life. See how far you go without eating and without drinking. You can limp along without a crutch. You're not going anywhere um, if you're in a state of starvation or severe dehydration. Um, no, Christianity is not a crutch. It is life itself. And without it, we have nothing but eternal condemnation to look forward to. We uh, have a brief period of suffering in this world where we're a curse to others and, and a following eternal damnation uh, in the world to come. A crutch is of no use in those circumstances. But he who is the bread of life, who is the water of life, who gives us perfect fulfillment, who has taken upon himself the blame for all that we did wrong, who has given us credit for all that he has done right, that's much more than a crutch. That, that is new life. That is born again. This is being made a new creature. Uh, that's what Christianity is. It's, it's, it's not just a crutch. But notice what happens here with Paul. After he gets this answer, after this pleading from the, from the heart for relief from this, from this very, very miserable suffering that he's undergoing, there is such an abrupt change here because in verse 8, he is begging, God, please take this away from me. And already in verse 9, he's saying, most gladly, therefore, joyfully, that is, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so this is similar to what happens to Paul 
in Romans 7 and in Romans 8. And if you read Romans 7 and 8 together, you, I think you begin to see the power of, of the transition that's taking place in Paul. In Romans 7, you'll recall that he's saying, I know what to do, I don't do it. I know what I'm not supposed to do, I do it anyway. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then in chapter 8, by the time you get to the end of it, he is overflowing with praise because of his inseparable connection with the Lord Jesus. And so what's happened to Paul in Romans 7 is he's looking at himself, his failings, his shortcomings, his, his flaws. In Romans 8, he is looking at Christ who has compensated and covered all of those shortcomings, flaws, and imperfections. And so a very, very similar thing is happening here just as we transition from verse 8 to verse 9, and that is, I am begging for relief. Now I am glorifying and I am glorying in my suffering. This passage is also similar to what you read in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Or as some versions put it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But the, the idea in Philippians 4. Where we find that verse is very similar. Paul is saying I know what it is to be wealthy. And he did. He was basically if we moved him up to modern times. He would have come from an upper class family. He would have been educated at Harvard. He would have known what it was to live in a family with a respectable name and a good income. But he also knew what it was to be miserably persecuted. If you just back up a chapter from tonight's text, you'll see the list of what Paul suffered as a missionary of the Christian faith. And so Paul knew both extremes. He knew what it was to live as well as one could live in the first century. He knew what it was to live as poorly as one could live in the first century and still be alive. So Paul knew both ends. And in Philippians 4, he says, I have learned to be content because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And the idea there, interestingly enough, is not I can do whatever I want through him who, through him who strengthens me. I am able to do the will of him who strengthens me regardless of the circumstances because he's sovereign over those circumstances too. And that, that is a whole different perspective with which you and I would, uh, should look at, at, at the difficulties and, and suffering that we endure. Now, Paul, where he says that he is boasting in his weakness, is not looking for self-pity or affirmation, as sometimes happens when people deprecate themselves and they say, oh, I'm so bad at this and I can't do that and so on. Uh, they're, they're sometimes hoping you'll just pat him on the head and say, oh, no, no, you're really a great person. Uh, I know from personal experience that I have done that in the past, and God blessed me with a roommate that would just start agreeing with me. And so um, that, that cured me of my narcissism for, uh, a, little, for a little while anyway, uh, where if I would complain about myself, he would, he would just agree. And that, this is, but this is not what Paul is doing. This is Paul saying that because I am imperfect, because of my inability, I am dependent on God, and because of that, Christ is seen in me rather than me being seen in me. And then in verse 10, now that he sees his suffering in a new light, Paul is taking pleasure in his adversities. 
and he is taking pleasure in, and, and the, the uh, list here is interesting. He takes pleasure in weakness and rather than in strength. He takes pleasure in insults rather than in praise. He takes pleasure in hardship rather than ease. He takes pleasure in persecution rather than freedom. And I just want to pause for a second and say um, persecution isn't somebody slamming a door in your face or rejecting you. Persecution isn't um, some comedian making crass vulgar insults about the Christian faith and Christians in general. Uh, persecution is when someone comes after you with the desire to silence you or to intimidate you. And we know, uh, in fact, it's in our call to prayer every week, there is somebody in the world that is suffering real persecution because of their faith in Christ. It can mean imprisonment, it can mean torture, it can mean death, it can mean the loss of their house, it can mean being displaced, it can mean any number of things because of the fact that they're Christians and people are coming after them to persecute them. And Paul certainly knew what both sides of that coin was like. We know that he was converted as a persecutor of Christians. And as an aside, this is why we not only pray for the persecuted church, but we pray for the persecutors too, because God still converts them. And then Paul goes on to say not only persecution, but in distress. Uh, the idea of distress is being, feeling crushed and squeezed, that you're, you're trying to get through something very narrow and very small and you have very limited resources and abilities. And what does Paul say? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, that he ends this with an ironic comment, for when I am weak, then am I strong. And so Paul is delighted in his imperfections because in his imperfections, Christ's perfection is seen all the more clearly. And what this verse means to you and me tonight, and I can tell you a little of this from personal experience, what a relief to know that we're not God. When you are dealing with various situations, perhaps with people very close to you, what a relief to know that you're not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. And I've had, um, I've had time to, to think about this where when you're dealing with a, a situation where things are not working out the way you want them to, um, people are doing things that they shouldn't do, or perhaps you're working with, uh, in a situation with uh, people that you may or may not get along well with or something like this, uh, you can add your own experience to this. The important thing is not who that person is. The important thing is who God is. And there is such relief in looking at it that way, such a joy in looking at it through the lens of God's providence, the lens of, of God's sovereignty, that even the trials, the difficulties, the things that bring you to your tears saying, God, take this away, God is using to make you and to make me more like Christ. And so when we see that he is using these things for good, then we can actually have some kind of joy in the circumstance. I tell people that sometimes when I'm in a stressful circumstance, my head is a believer, my stomach is an atheist. 
Wouldn't it be great if we could get to that point where in the midst of our suffering, our stomachs could be believers too, and we wouldn't have that tension, that, uh, that, um, um, that feeling of anxiety, uh, because we can really begin to understand that even this, which we didn't ask for, is of God for our good and for his glory. So as we get out of the way, Christ is seen in us as we declare our independence from ourselves and declare our dependence on our creator. This is similar to what John the Baptist was getting at when he said, I must decrease, he must increase. And so John saying, you know, my purpose is done. I must fade into the background while uh, Jesus steps into the spotlight. And that's how It's not, of course, the exact same thing. We're not John the Baptist with the same mission, but the mindset is the same, that we need to somehow fade into the background so that Christ can be seen in the foreground. Because just like a camera doesn't take pictures by itself, we are the instruments of his glory, not the objects of it. Please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 9. We were looking at Jeremiah chapter one earlier this evening as, as God called Jeremiah to a very difficult ministry. But Jeremiah has something very, very similar to say in Jeremiah chapter 9. So go with me to Jeremiah 9 verses 23 and 24. The Lord speaking through Jeremiah says this, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. And I want to pause for a second. Do you see how little has changed since Jeremiah's day? Do we not sometimes esteem intelligent people? We sometimes esteem strong and athletic people. We sometimes esteem people who are wealthy. In verse 24, Jeremiah goes on to say this, the Lord speaking through him. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Very, very similar to what Paul is saying as the Lord exercises his sovereign will over the entire earth, you and I a part of that. So let us learn to die to ourselves, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so that's what, that, that is what the Lord is calling us to do through these different scripture passages that we're looking at tonight. And if you're not a believer... Here's the news that your life is not about you. My life is not about me. Um, But it's about the one who died for your sins, died for my sins, and makes us weak so that we will find our fulfillment completely in him. And I pray that that will be your experience and mine. Now, I realize that I've gaffed by skipping over the evening prayer. So I'm going to uh, close in prayer and then I'm going to uh, go over some of the prayer requests for the the church family and then 
um, and then we'll move on to the to the closing hymn. So I apologize for overlooking the evening prayer. That that's a big goof on my part, but uh, that's because I'm insufficient and Christ is sufficient. So let's pray. Lord, help us to remember what your word is telling us that we would remember who we are and perhaps even more importantly who we are not and remember who you are and to be more surrendered to you more submissive to you to the point where in difficulty in the midst of it in the midst of physical or emotional pain we can say praise God because you are using us for your good and you're using us for your glory and you are transitioning us and making us such that Christ would be seen more clearly in us. Lord, as we pray tonight, we pray for those in the church family. We pray for the Milberger family. We thank you for them and their devotion to the, to the church and the many good things that they do. And we pray for the children in the upcoming school year as they'll be going on to different teachers and different classes and learning new things. We pray for um, uh, Ellen's surgery coming up in October and pray that you will help her and provide for her until she can have the knee surgery that she needs. We thank you for the Miller family and we just pray that you'll bless Tom's health after his hip replacement and we pray that you'll bless Maxine who's had a chronic coughing issue for a couple of years now and we just pray that uh, you will help them to see uh, your, your will and your blessing and your goodness in their suffering. We thank you for Anna Norvell and we pray for her that you would uh, continue to bless her. We just thank you for her, her sweet and joyful spirit and uh, just, just the encouragement that, that she is to others and pray that she'll continue to, to grow and to trust in you and uh, continue to be used of you to bring encouragement into the lives of others. We pray for our shut-ins. We pray for Linda Hunter. We pray for Lynette Ostell, Betty Stallings, Opal Tapp, Dot Turner, and Bob Wiley. Uh, thanking you for these saints, some of whom have been diligent to attend even in the midst of great physical pain. And we just pray that you would um, continue to bless and encourage them. And just thank you for the way this church ministers to those who are in need and just bless those who have taken time to go visit with these people and to encourage them. We pray for Ken DeHaas as he recuperates at home. We thank you that he was discharged and able to go home. We pray that you'll bless Penny with all that she needs and being able to take care of him. And, and once again, just thank you for the, uh, the care for that family shown by other members of this church. We pray for our expectant families. We pray for these, these children yet to be born. And we pray that you'll bless that these children will grow up in godly homes where they will see the Christian faith, not perfectly, but honestly modeled before you. And from a young age would find themselves drawn to faith and to trust in you. We pray for James Lee, Jordan Lee's father, and we pray thanking you that 
his cancer has been detected at, at early stages. He has a, a number of actually different cancers and um, and yet at this stage with the detection and with the, with the technology available there um, is uh, uh, no concern uh, for his physical health other than recovering from some fairly extensive surgery and we do pray that you will bless that and bless his recovering and bless his family as they look after him. <clears throat> and we pray for Brenda Wilkes as she continues her treatment for cancer and we pray that you'll encourage her and as she has been left very, very weak, we thank you for how diligently she's been taking up prayer requests for others for so many years and has been diligent to pass those on to others in the church and we just pray that she would be uh, as willing to receive help as, as she is to give it. And so please bless her and strengthen her. And also uh, bless and strengthen Don and his health issues as well. We pray for uh, Smaja Hart's grandmother and we thank you that she was able to return home, but pray that she'll regain her strength. We pray for Wayne and uh, pray for Patty as she cares for him. We pray for their grandson who is suffering from seizures and pray that you'll bless and uh, help in, in all of these cases for them to just look upward and to, to see you and to see their, their need for you and to see your provision. We pray for our pastor. We pray for Stephanie uh, that you would um, bless her, that she would be able to rejoin our fellowship, that you would give uh, Joel and and uh, and doctor's wisdom and being able to take care of her so that she could be as as much a, of of this fellowship as she she uh, certainly desires to be. We thank you for Joel. We thank you for his faithful pastoring and preaching, and we pray that you'll bless him and uh, uh, bless him with some time off and help him to come back to uh, ably resume the the duties that. Um, and, and the care of the church. We pray for Mary Hamby, thanking, that, thanking you that she and Arnold were able to be here this morning, and we pray for their continued strength and for uh, her continued recovery. We pray for those who are out of work, and we continue to pray for Jill, we thank you that Randy has found temporary work, and we pray for Rose, and we uh, pray that um, you would bless, that, that work would be provided where talents and abilities would be best used for your kingdom. We pray for Maria and the situation with her knee, and we pray for Bill as they, uh, really as they care for each other. And so we, we pray that you'll, you'll bless um, them in their situation. We thank you for Muhammad and Arazu and their family visiting with us, and we thank you for the, the great work you're doing in the, in the lives of, of that family, and thank you for their professions of faith in you. We continue to pray for Arazu's health as she's dealing with a malignant brain tumor, and we pray for Muhammad as he looks after her, and just thank you for, uh, for that family and for bringing them into our fellowship. We pray for the dinner groups as they start up that that would be a good time of fellowship where 
burdens could be shared, uh, praises could be shared, and encouragement could be shared with one another. And we also pray that you will bless in the raising up of teachers for our children's church ministry. We also pray for those who suffer who may or may not be on this list. We pray for those who have the invisible illnesses, those who suffer perhaps from depression or from some kind of anxiety or illness that is not easily seen. Uh, we pray that uh, just as with physical illnesses, are sometimes sent of you to make us aware of our dependence on you so uh, we would see other illnesses and suffering in the same light. And uh, thanking you for your sovereignty and thanking you that you have loved us so much that you have not left us in our complacency and, and left us unsanctified. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.